Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. It was meant to be a symbol of God's assassination. But instead, it became the symbol of Jesus' invitation. Come to the cross. Instead of sin and stain, you are meant to be made clean. Instead of being forgotten, you are meant to know you're seen. Instead of being ashamed, you can leave behind your guilt. Instead of feeling empty, you were meant to be fulfilled. Instead of being broken, you are meant to be made whole. Here, Calvary is calling. It beckons you. Behold, come to the cross. Instead of being an accident, you have a purpose and a plan. Instead of being abandoned, you were chosen by His hand. For all who've said, I can't, God has said, I can. No matter what you've done, the invitation stands. Come to the cross. Instead of being doubtful, you are meant to know your father. You are meant to be his son, and you are meant to be his daughter. You were cherished from the start. You were always in the picture. Instead of being a victim, you were meant to be a victor. The result of Jesus' blood, salvation has arrived. Instead of being dead, you are meant to be alive. Good Friday. It's kind of a weird word to describe what happened. Good. So we read scriptures about the cross and we sing songs about the cross and we look at videos about the cross. (laughs) But I have a question for you How do we approach the cross? I mean, what's the right posture to approach it as? I mean, the idea is that Jesus dies on the cross for us. For our benefit. It's not just a death on the cross. It's a payment for something that we've done. So what's the right approach to this? Can I offer a couple thoughts for you? Uh, The first is this. Maybe to approach Good Friday, we should beat ourselves up. You're laughing, but you've done it. Maybe some of you have done it tonight. If really Jesus died on the cross for something that you've done... Maybe you're like the red-faced football coach at halftime that his team is down by 35 points, and so he's screaming at his team for their failures. Does that sound too far-fetched? I don't think so, because you know when you've messed up, and you pause to think about it, and you say things like, oh, I'm so stupid. Why would I? I'm so dumb. Really? (laughs) Maybe that's our approach to Good Friday. And we look at the cross, and we just go, wow, I'm so so dumb. Why, why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? If he paid for all of my sins on the cross, I mean, that's a lot for us to bear. The, what he went through, he was paying our debt. I mean, that's a lot of guilt that we could walk in with and walk out with tonight. So is the right approach 
for you and I to beat ourselves up? Is Good Friday the reminder of your greatest regrets? Do we internally shame ourselves, hoping that somehow if we shame ourselves enough, it's going to cause us to change? Because my guess is you're like me. (laughs) You keep doing things that represent not the way God would do it. Regret, um, it's a pretty powerful thing. I've been reading this book lately. It's actually called The Power of Regret. It was just released in February. And it's all about regret. And like, I know it sounds weird. Like, why would you read a book about regret? That sounds so depressing. (laughs) It's actually founded on two principles. Here's the first one. Ready? Uh, He proposes this first idea. First, we all have regrets. It's what makes us human. So welcome to the human race. If you come in here tonight, you have any kind of regrets, congratulations. Second, he writes about this. Regrets handled right can actually lead to a life of transformation where your behavior changes. Now, here's the really funny thing. This book on regret, it's called The Power of Regret. It's not written by a Christian author. It's not a Christian book. The guy who writes it, his name is Daniel Pink. He doesn't have any real spiritual faith. I know this. I was in a room with him. People asking him questions. Tell us, how does this connect to your faith? He's like, I'm not really a spiritual guy. I think it's interesting. His whole book is based off of research, social science research off of this one topic of regret. And here's what the research has revealed. Are you ready? Internal browbeating doesn't actually lead to transformation for anybody. For most people, the approach of beating ourselves up leads to hopelessness, meaning that we end up just feeling hopeless that we will ever change. When people beat themselves up over their regrets, it rarely leads to a change in behavior. That's what the research shows. Interesting. So we approach the cross. Let's not beat ourselves up tonight (laughs) because it's not going to help anybody. So if we're not going to beat up ourselves, how about we pump up ourselves? Anybody grow up watching Saturday Night Live in the 80s? We're here to pump you up. I apologize. I will never do that again. But there are some of you that will remember that. We see the image of Jesus on the cross and we hear the pastor proclaim, he did that for you. And so we decide to pump ourselves up with these words. That's right. I'm worth it. I am smart. I am kind. I am important. Of course Jesus would die for me. I am worth dying for. You laugh. But some people, we have to pump ourselves up. This is, uh, this is actually a process of self-esteem building, right? And our world is pretty big on self-esteem. Am I right? Evidenced by all those participation trophies that you grew up with. That's all about self-esteem building. Now, the truth is that the author, he writes this, that we all have to have a certain level of self-esteem to survive today, right? Because this world tends to kind of beat us down. But here's what he states in his research, is that what they found was that if you are focused on building up your self-esteem, it actually has a downside, Self-esteem building can foster too much focus on self, which is known as narcissism. It can diminish empathy for others because if they're not thinking about you, then something's wrong with them. It can um, aggravate aggression. Do you know who actually has a higher self-esteem than the general population? Criminals. They think they're worth it. And it caused them to do some things that got them thrown in prison. Because self-esteem is comparative... 
to assess myself favorably, I often have to look down on others. So our approach to Good Friday, if it's all, hey, let's pump ourselves up, maybe it actually lacks some humility. So we can't beat ourselves up, we can't pump ourselves up, and this next option, it's going to ring right away. You're going to tell this isn't a good option either, but let's just say this. Uh, Let's numb up ourselves. Have you ever driven by an accident and you just told yourself, just just don't look, just don't look, because you're afraid you're going to see something and not be able to get that image out of your head, right? I know some of you come to Good Friday service, you're like, oh, I hope they don't show any of those graphic videos of Jesus and the cross, and like, I watched the passion of the Christ, and I still got those images in my head, oh. Maybe some of you go farther than that, numbing up. You're saying, don't listen too closely to what the pastor's saying because he might say something that you can't get out of your head. He might actually say something that might actually require a response of me and my life. So let's just sit through. Hopefully there's some encouraging thing there. Listen, numbing up definitely is not the solution. That's why we have Netflix and alcohol, right? (laughs) You're like, can I laugh at that? Um, I'm not an anti-alcohol person unless we're using it to numb up. Numb up to a life that God has for us. Numb up to what Jesus did for us on the cross. And particularly numb up to the regrets that we have. Because remember, it's regrets handled right that can actually lead to transformation. So we approach the cross tonight, right? We're not allowed to beat up ourselves, pump up ourselves, or numb up ourselves. So how do we approach the cross? We approach it with this one word right here, compassion. Compassion. You might think that I'm going to actually open the Bible right now and read to you a verse about God's compassion and the cross and how it fits together, but I'm not, at least not yet. I'm actually going to point you back to this book by Daniel Pink, his whole book on regret. He gives us this alternative that he calls self-compassion. It's founded on the recognition that when we fail, we mistakenly beat ourselves up. We treat ourselves more harshly than our family, than our friends, and even a stranger if they were in the same predicament. Why do we do that? We beat ourselves up. When we do that, he goes on to write that self-compassion doesn't ignore your screw-ups or neglect your weaknesses, but it also doesn't face you with endless shaming. Are you with me? Here's what he found out through research. People who can see the regret through the lens of self-compassion are actually able to embrace their regret in a way that can become transformational, which means this, it changes them. It changes their heart and it changes their behavior. Remember, this is not a Christian book. What I think happened is that this author has stumbled upon something that the Bible has been proclaiming for 2,000 years that were changed by the compassion of God. Um, Our approach to Good Friday, our approach to the cross, is about God having compassion on us to rescue us from our sins at his cost, not ours. So let me let you in on a little bit of a a secret here. Um, It's kind of a commercial, so forgive me for this, but I wanted to let you know, uh, starting on Easter... Uh, I'm going to lead you through a five-week series all about regret. 
don't worry, when you show up to church, you don't have to share any regrets. I'm not going to be like, hey, turn to your neighbor right now and share your greatest regret. Like, there's going to be none of that. And I promise you, I'm not going to like, lead with shaming words, so you're, I'm not going to shame any of you. Um, I am going to steal, though, from the book of Isaiah, because this book of Isaiah is all about regret and hope. And I'm shamelessly going to steal from this guy, Daniel Pink, because he writes a brilliant book about regret. One of the things he does, just listen to this real quick, he breaks regret down into four categories. Let me share them with you real quick. He, said, he calls them foundation regrets. And foundation regrets are this. It's when we make small bad decisions that lead to a cumulative bad result. Think of a mini candy bar. Eat one every day for an entire year. Each day, it's just a small little decision. It's not even the Mongo bar, right? It's just a little bar. But 365 of those accumulates to a bad result in the end, right? Right? <laughs> There's also these little good decisions that we're supposed to make. And when we fail to make them, they're foundation decisions. Um, they lead to foundation regrets. Think of uh, saving for retirement from every paycheck. And if we don't, it leads to this foundation regret. His second regret is called a boldness regret. It's when you didn't take a chance. I didn't ask her out. I didn't ask him out. I didn't take the risk. I didn't go for that promotion. There's these regrets we have because we just weren't bold enough. The third is this, moral regrets. And this is what every Christian thinks about. This is what you're going to expect me to preach about. You're thinking, oh, a moral regret. It's like we valued and believed in this value, and we somehow behaved outside of that, violated that value. This is what I think about. But you know what's interesting? In his research about regret, moral regrets are only 10% of what people regret. Isn't that interesting? The greatest regret is this next one, and it's called a connection regret. It's when you knew somebody, you're in a relationship with them, and whether through a rift or drift, that relationship has parted ways. This is actually the most common kind of regret. We're going to talk about all four of those. And I believe this, everybody carries regret. But we rarely deal with them in a really good way so that life becomes transformational. So we all got regrets. Starting on Easter, we're going to do this. Okay, end of commercial, all right? Back here at the cross, we bring our regrets, but what do we do with our regrets? Instead of beating up, pumping up, or numbing up because it doesn't actually create change, it's about God's compassion. It's about allowing God's compassion to wash over this. So here's what I'm going to do tonight. I want to read to you something from the cross, but not from the typical place. You'd think Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, right? <laughs> I'm going to read to you from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is all, all about regret and hope. And Isaiah, it's interesting, it's actually the most quoted Old Testament book in the Gospels because there's more information in the book of Isaiah about Jesus than any other prophetic book. Now, here's what I know. Almost none of you have read the book of Isaiah. You know why? Because it's impossible to know what's going on in the book. It's super, super hard. You read it, and there's like this poetry and this imagery, and you're like, I have no idea what's happening in the book. Maybe like three chapters in, you're like, oh, I gave it a good go. I'm skipping it. Let's go to Jeremiah. <laughs> so here's what I want to do. Let me just give you a real quick synopsis of the book of uh, Isaiah, and this is going to be like 30 seconds. It's the story of God's people 
who were living right around the Jerusalem area in the, in the region known as Judah, okay? This whole group of people, they had a ton of regrets because they rebelled against God. Now, because of the rebellion, God's like, oh, you want to do life without me? Let's see how that goes. I don't know if God talked like that, but far, sorry about that. And so he allows them to be conquered. All, these Assyrians come in and they threaten them. And then these Babylonians come in and they conquer them. And they take the people out of Jerusalem and they bring them ba- back to Babylon where they live in exile as captives. And that's where this story picks up in Isaiah 53. At this point, the people had been in Babylon for years And now, God's about to unleash his rescue plan. God starts shifting into this rescue plan. If you're going to have a rescue, what do you need? You need a hero, right? So they need somebody who can overpower the Babylonians. So Isaiah writes this about God's rescue plan and the hero that's going to come in and free these people. So I'm going to read this, Isaiah 53, and I'm going to read it from a version of the Bible. It's a paraphrase known as the message. Here's why the English is just easier to understand, okay? It'll show up on the screen. Isaiah 53 verse 1 says this, who believes what we've heard or seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God. The servant is the hero. He's the one who's going to be a part of the rescue plan. He's the rescuer. Uh, The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling. What? A scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. That doesn't sound much like a hero. That doesn't sound like a great rescuer or a mighty warrior. Who's Isaiah describing? He's describing Jesus. He wasn't born into a royal family with all the benefits and all the advantages and protections. He wasn't a physically overpowering figure. He didn't look like a warrior. What is happening here? I mean, why is Isaiah all of a sudden describing Jesus when he's trying to get the people out of Babylon? Don't miss this. God's rescue plan wasn't just to get his people out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem, but to rescue all people from their rebellion against God and eventually get them to heaven. That's what the book of Isaiah is about. As I read this, I want you to understand how to engage compassion. So I'm going to tell you three things as I read these scriptures. I just want you to soak in these scriptures and remember these three words. Somehow, if compassion is going to come over you tonight, it first comes through this appreciation. Appreciation of what Jesus has done for us. As we approach the cross tonight, if compassion is going to take root, we've got to appreciate that he suffered on our behalf. Here's what Isaiah writes. He was looked down on and passed over a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand, One look at him and people turned away. They looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. This is the story of the good news of Jesus. That he carried all of our sin and all of our shame. And if we want compassion to overcome us, we need appreciation for what he's done. That's why every Good Friday we pause at the cross. To remember. Once there's appreciation, there's this second thing. It's called confession. Because we got to recognize that it was our sin that separated us from God. His pain was on our behalf. So Isaiah writes this. 
We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him. That ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment, and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. And later on, Isaiah, he would write this. But your, iniquities have, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Confession. It's simply this. It's, it's admitting, first, God, I've done wrong. We've sinned against you, God. We've all wandered, and that wandering has separated us from you, and that has eternal consequences. So here's what we're confessing. God, I need rescuing. I've been far from you. Second, it means that he endured the cross for us. You see, the first part of confessing is just say, hey, we're lost. That doesn't do us any good. We have to confess, Jesus, I believe you did that for me, that that paid for my guilt, so I don't have to have it anymore. That paid for my regret, so I don't have to carry it with me any longer. Don't miss this. Um, You know when the people actually left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem? It was 538 B.C., That was over 500 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. But Isaiah writes about this. God is giving him this idea and this vision because God's rescue plan wasn't to get people out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem. God was thinking thousands of years in the future about people sitting in a church on a hill who would hear a message that they don't have to carry regret. He wants to rescue you from you and your sin so that he could have relationship with you. Isaiah continues, right? He says, he was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. If you ever read the story about when Jesus is arrested and he comes before the the Jewish uh, trial of the Sanhedrin and then he comes before the uh, Roman governor Pilate, both groups ask him, why aren't you defending yourself? Why are you just sitting there in silence? Why are you not trying to defend and speak your, your rights? Because when it was predicted in Isaiah 53 that the rescuer would take it in silence because he was just receiving God's plan, Jesus was actually fulfilling what God wanted him to do. Appreciation for what Jesus has done. Confession that we're broken and that Jesus did that for us. Here's the third thing. Appreciation, confession, participation in this life with God. Verse 10 reads this way. Still, it's what God had in mind all along. To crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. Through his death on the cross, we don't want you to walk away with shame and guilt and regret. We want you to walk away with life because it was God's compassion on you. So can I just be as blunt as possible? If you walk away with regret tonight, you missed it. If you walk away with guilt and shame and hanging your head low, you missed it. 
God has compassion for you. And you know how you've discovered compassion? It shows up right here. It's called joy. It'll show up in your face. When you realize that God has compassion for you, not just before, but now and in the future, that when he looks at you, he's filled with compassion and love. There's a joy that comes over your life. And so maybe if life right now, you've been hanging your head low, maybe tonight is just the reminder of God's compassion on you. You don't have to carry regrets. And I I don't actually know how to get you to experience this compassion. I don't. I just know that three things that I read in here shows some kind of appreciation for what Jesus has done. A confession. And also a participation in this life with God. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. Um, This approach to Good Friday. We're going to go take communion here in just a moment. And as as we do that, can I just suggest this? Don't beat yourself up. (laughs) And please don't pump yourself up. (laughs) And definitely don't numb yourself up. (laughs) But can you just receive God's compassion? We actually try to create space in this room so you can go grab that and maybe you can go back to your seat or peel off to the side and be by yourself. Or if you want to do this with your family, you're welcome to. But we invite you, have a conversation with God. In that conversation, could you do three things? Guess what they are? Appreciation. Confession. And it's a commitment to say, God, I'm participating in this life with you. And as you do that, I'm praying this, that God's compassion would come over you. It would become a reality for you so that joy rises in you. So we're going to do that. We're going to have the band come out here and they're going to, they're going to play. And we're going to give you an opportunity to go do that. And let me explain this real quick. If you're a Christian, this is for you, okay? You, you can receive this. If you're not a Christian yet, um, then just let this pass, okay? Um, we're rooting for you. We want you to make that, that statement that cross that line of faith and join God's family. I mean, so much of what this is about, right? We want to see this whole city come to know who Christ is. But for right now, it's not for you. If you are a Christian, though, um, I invite you, just, you'll go up there and there's bread and there's juice. And uh, there's nothing magical about this. The bread is bread. But it's a symbol of Jesus' body that was broken for you on the cross. And the juice, it's It's juice. <laughs> But it's a symbol of Jesus' blood that was shed for you. And so we're going to invite you to go take that and eat and drink and have that conversation to appreciate and confess and declare that you're going to participate in this life with him. I would invite you to do that. And as you do, I pray God's compassion on you and joy might rise in you. Let's pause for just a moment and pray. Jesus, um, I thank you for these moments. I know it's hard to think about your suffering, but God, we try to do it with joy tonight because what you went through was a gift to us. God, I pray for anybody who's carrying regrets tonight that they would put those in your hands. Lord, I pray that we start living this new life that as we handle our regret well, that you'll change us, God. And I pray our joy would rise tonight. We walk out of here just different people than how we walked in. 
And God, we thank you for your compassion. Help us to be compassionate on ourselves. And we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.